Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Breachside Broadcast, home of the finest vox casting either side of the breach. I am your host, Mr. Magpie. Before we begin, I would like to update you on the ongoing investigation into my predecessor's disappearance. I would like to assure listeners that the matter is being thoroughly investigated. The Guild has put some of its finest agents on the case. Rumour has it that an independent investigative journalist has been snooping around the studio. I assure you that this line of inquiry is most unnecessary. This is nothing more than a routine, mysterious disappearance. There is no reason to suspect foul play. Or at least, there is no reason to suspect play any fouler than is normal in Malifaux. On this side of the breach, all play is foul. Indeed, foul play is the subject of today's show. I'm delighted to present the tale of a gambler who wagers a little too much and plays his cards a little too well. As a result, he discovers how fair play is rewarded on this side of the breach. So wrap up warm and enjoy Luck of the Draw after this word from our sponsor. This episode of the Breachside Broadcast is brought to you by the Smoke Street Emporium of Sharp Objects. The Emporium is your one-stop shop for razors, scissors, swords, daggers, meat cleavers, needles, pins, machetes, bayonets, chisels, planes, hacksaws, stilettos, shivs, throwing stars, katanas, scimitars, cutlasses, sabers, epées, spears, boning knives, hunting knives, chef's knives, stabbing knives, slashing knives, switchblades, hat pins and bits of shattered glass. Please note that customers enter the Emporium at their own risk. The management takes no responsibility for cuts or lacerations received on the premises. Luck of the Draw Edward Crane looked up from his cards at the unfriendly faces arrayed around the table. Dirty, drunken scum of the earth, every last one of them. The smell of gin was thick in the air, along with the sickly sweet stench of cigar smoke and less pleasant smells that you didn't really want to think too long or hard about. The clientele of this particular drinking establishment was as equally repellent as the smells. Rotten dregs of humanity washed up in a shadowy corner of Malifaux, much like Crane himself. Your bet, mister, one of the faces slurred at him a half-grin exposing the man's faith in his hand along with a set of yellowed, rotten teeth. Crane paused, taking a quick shot of gin and reflected on just how far he had sunk from the fine gambling houses and dance halls of New Amsterdam. It seemed like a lifetime ago. Something that had happened to another man, before he got into trouble and ended up on the wrong side of the breach, with a collar round his neck. Of course, that was all rapidly becoming ancient history now. Years slipped away like gin or coin, 
and the half-remembered faces of less than virtuous women. He had done his time in the mines, worked hard for the guild and dug their precious ore, pulled himself up by his bootstraps and made a name for himself in the city as a card shop, falling back on the same skills that had seen him sent there in the first place. Although, as every gambler will tell you, luck is a fickle mistress, and the more she pulls you up, the further she has to throw you down when your fate turns on you. It was this very series of events which saw him turning his trade here, in the Wilted Rose Saloon, very much on the wrong side of Malifaux. You hear me, fella? You gonna stir them cards all night, or you gonna put down some coin and match that hand? Crane only half heard the gambler as he checked his cards again. The black joker winking at him from the middle of his hand, accompanied by three faded eights, giving him the strongest hand he'd had so far, and one he was willing to put his coin behind. This wasn't why he paused, though. He'd been playing these men all night, deliberately losing and driving up the stakes, the way it was meant to be done, and the way you did it if you wanted to walk away rich. Now, though, amid the squalor and filth of the wilted rose taproom, something had raised the hairs on the back of his neck. Something which told him perhaps this was the time to lose and walk away, rather than press his advantage. Perhaps it had something to do with the woman who had been staring at him for the last hour, sitting at the bar dressed in a tightly fitting corset and flowing red dress, with eyes that never seemed to leave Crane alone. He didn't recognize her as one of the Rose's regular girls, and he had made the acquaintance of more than a few. But there was something about her which was putting him off his game, something which was tugging at a memory buried somewhere deep down in his mind. Shaking off thoughts of the girl, Crane looked again at his cards, and once more at the table. Unfortunately for Crane, he'd never been one to trust his instincts when there was this much money on the table. A small pile of gilded scrip, a tarnished-looking watch, and a fine-looking bone-handled hunting knife making it a handsome haul. It was just this trait which was probably why Crane was here in Malifaux and not back in New Amsterdam spending other people's money. Nevertheless, with a slight smile he tossed his few remaining notes onto the pile and looked across the table at the man with the rotten grin. I call. His gaze held the other man's evenly, even as part of his mind braced itself for trouble. Still confident, his opponent laid down his own hand, the rotten grin expanding to show a glint of gold where his incisors had been replaced. Two pair, sevens and fives, accompanied by a tired-looking queen, a good hand, but not the equal of Crane's own. Not wanting to draw out the moment, Crane tossed his own cards on the table, waiting only long enough for the man's face to fall, defeat registering in his eyes before Crane reached out to claim his winnings. Immediately the mood in the tap room shifted, and though no one reached out to stop Crane gathering up his money, he could feel the intense, unfriendly stares leveled at him. He was also becoming aware that he was an outsider here, the bulk of the patrons being miners and rail workers like those he was gaming with, doubtless all members of the Miners and Steamfitters Union. In fact, he would bet money on the fact most of these men worked in the same factory or mine, judging by their looks and the dust that still clung to their clothes. Speaking of a recent trip into the city to spend their pay, Pay Crane had just lightened them off considerably.
Aside from the MNSU mob, a few locals lurked in the shadows or leered from nearby tables. Drunkards and whores gearing up for some free entertainment, and judging by the expression on old Rottengren's face, they were about to get it. Still gathering his winnings, Crane started to rise from his chair, intent on leaving as quickly as possible, but was stopped by a heavy hand on his shoulder, pushing him down. Looking up, he met the gaze of a heavy-set miner with an expression as equally grim as the ones around the table. I don't think you've been playing fair, mister, Rottengren said, his yellow teeth now hidden by the hard line of his mouth. Hey, I just take the cards as they're dealt, my friend. Nothing going on here but some good honest gambling. Crane held out his arms, showing his empty sleeves to further prove his point. I ain't your friend, mister. Now perhaps you are being honest. But I don't reckon I fancy losing tonight. So you just put that money back and walk away. While you got two good legs to do it. Crane could see where this was going. Even though he hadn't outright cheated, he had been playing the miners and getting them to raise the bets until he could let his real skill show. Turns out Rotten Grin was just smart enough to pick up on this, and was going to use it as an excuse to take back what he had lost. Crane could also see that there was only one way he was going to get out of this with his money. Crane made a lunge for the knife still sitting in the center of the table, just as Rotten Grin and the other miners leapt to their feet. His fingers almost closed on the hilt before the table was thrown over, sending it skittering off across the room. Someone landed a blow on his jaw, and the heavy-set miner who'd pushed him back into his chair tried to grab him. Crane was no stranger to a good brawl, even though he preferred to avoid them where he could, and his first instinct was always to escape. Rolling with the punch and slipping away from the heavy-set man, Crane fell to the floor and threw himself under a nearby table. Scrambling across the beer-soaked floor and trying to avoid kicks from startled patrons, he staggered to his feet and turned to look for an escape route as well as size up his opposition. Pushing past the table, Rotten Grin and Heavyset were closing in, along with two other men from the table. Though for now it looked like the bulk of the miners were content to watch. Among the other onlookers, Crane once again locked eyes with the woman by the bar, a wry smile twisting her lips in apparent amusement at his predicament. The nearest exit was a window about a half-dozen paces away, but Crane had no idea what lurked on the other side. The other option was trying to get around the miners and to the front door. Thinking fast, Crane decided it was time for a new tactic, and though he hated doing it, he took out a fistful of guild script from his hastily gathered winnings and held it above his head. One hundred script to anyone that gets these gentlemen out of my way. Hearing his plea, the miners paused. Rotten grin showing his yellow teeth once more as he looked around the room at the stony faces of his fellow workers. Then a group of wastrels rose from a table in the corner, hefting their canes, while a beefy-looking man dressed in a faded duster put down his drink and rose from the bar. For a moment everything was still, as his new allies sized up the miners, and the miners' companions started getting up to aid their friends. Then one of the wastrels cracked his cane on a table, and all hell broke loose. Rotten Grin and Heavyset were suddenly fighting an onslaught from both sides, while the bruiser in the duster waded through the crowd toward Crane, laying out anyone who got in his way. Crane, meanwhile, tried to circle round the growing brawl and make for the exit, hoping to make it to the street before either the miners got him or he was forced to make good on his promise to one of the wastrels or the bruiser. From all sides, more of the miners piled into the fray, 
and what a second ago had been an altercation between Crane and the other gamblers was now exploding into a full-fledged bar brawl. Skirting the action, he could see it was not just his newfound friends which were struggling against the miners, but it seemed others had taken the opportunity to settle scores amidst the mayhem, or simply join in the violence of beating their fellow man bloody. Nearby, a miner with a steam-powered augmented arm was hammering a man into the floor, until suddenly two or three others bore him to the ground under the barrage of swung chairs and bottles. Elsewhere, a man was trying to drown another in a spittoon, while behind the bar, some wretch was attempting to liberate as much alcohol as he could carry. The wastrels, meantime, were standing back to back, smashing and cutting anyone who came close, and for an instant Crane met the gaze of their leader, a stringy-haired fellow in a bent-top hat. The man smiled cruelly at Crane, as the gambler caught a glimpse of a knife, flashing in the light and then coming away bloody. The sight chilled Crane more than any threat from Rotten Grin had, and he hoped he could escape before he had to settle up with this man, or worse, find himself in his debt. By contrast, his other saviour, the Bruiser, seemed to have become lost in the melee, and Crane could only hear the occasional scream or crack of wood, at least what he assumed was wood, to mark the man's location behind the moving throng of unwashed bodies. Seeing a break in the crowd, Crane made his play and dashed to the entrance, swaying to avoid a few hastily thrown punches and dodging under the odd bottle tossed in his direction. Before he could reach the doorway, however, a shape moved to block his path, and a familiar rotten grin filled his vision. Had about enough of you, mister. Figure you'll be giving me my money now. Crane's gaze fell from the man's grin to the clockwork pistol in his hand, its barrel squarely leveled at Crane's chest. Crane himself had a holdout pistol tucked into the back of his belt, but he knew there was no way he could hope to reach it before the miner put a fist-sized hole in him. Spreading his hands in what he hoped was a placating gesture and giving a lopsided smile, Crane tried to buy himself a few more moments of life. No need for this, fella. I can see now the error of my ways. Here, let me just get that script for you. Heck, I was going to try and keep my money from getting bloody, but I think we're done, mister. Crane could only watch as Rotten Grin cocked the pistol ready to fire, racing himself for the end. The gunshot rang out across the bar, momentarily stopping the brawl as head snapped around to see its source, or men ducked for cover. Crane himself flinched at the sound, but after a second he realized he was still alive, his would-be killer lying at his feet. The woman who'd been making eyes at him earlier standing over him with a bottle in her hand and a bullet hole in the ceiling. Come on, you fool, she cried, grabbing his arm and dragging him toward the exit. The situation is about to get a lot worse, and we really don't want to be here. She was not wrong. Already the miners were recovering from the gunshot, and many, believing their companion had been gunned down, were drawing firearms of their own. As Crane and the woman ran out of the wilted rows, he could hear more shots and screams along with the crashing of glass and the breaking of wood. Wait! Who are you and why did you save my life back there? Crane yelled as they rushed out into the cold night air and shadowy streets of the Malifaux slums. For a moment the woman looked back, pale green eyes locking with his own, a pale delicate face framed by bright copper hair. They call me Jezebel, and I know your name, Mr. Edward Crane. So what does one of the wilted rose girls want with me, or is it the money? Edward? If I had wanted your money, I would have hit you with the bottle now, wouldn't I? Crane tried looking into her eyes to see if he could detect any evidence of treachery or danger there. But only the well-practiced innocence of her expression was reflected back at him. 
a trait common to many women in her line of work. Fine. So where are we going, then? Crane was looking around, trying to figure out where he was, and deciding if it was time to slip away now that the wilted rose seemed to be behind them. Somewhere safe. That man you cheated. I didn't cheat anyone. I just let him believe I was a poorly skilled card player, and then disabused him of the notion. As I said, the man you cheated was Caleb Muller. Not just a boss in the MNSU, but also a friend of Ramos and an arcanist, if you believe the rumours. Crane had heard of the arcanists. Dangerous magical terrorists with strong ties to the Miners and Steamfitters Union. Definitely not people to get on the wrong side of. To make matters worse, that stunt you pulled offering money for protection drew the attention of some other less-than-pleasant characters. Those wastrels are led by Finley Rorschach, a vile thief, murderer, and worse. While the big man in the duster is a hired gun by the name of Maximilian de Ray, of equally unpleasant demeanour. Crane couldn't be sure, but Jezebel seemed to be getting more and more excited as she listed his new cadre of enemies, almost as if she'd been waiting for a very special present and was finally about to unwrap it. I guess that's my luck. Fate, it seems, has it in for me tonight. For an instant, Crane noticed a change in Jezebel's expression when he mentioned fate, but it was gone before he was sure he had seen it. He was about to continue his thought, but Jezebel interrupted him. So I thought I might help. Find somewhere safe to hide. At least until they stop looking for you. And trust me, they will be looking. Each and every one of them has a reputation to uphold, and takes a very dim view of getting cheated. I didn't cheat anyone. Yes, of course. She smiled. I guess once you help me find my way through this maze, you'll want some of my money then. Something like that, she replied cryptically. Even armed as he was, Crane suddenly felt quite alone and vulnerable. And not at all like he was protecting Jezebel on this dark night, but rather like it was the other way round. Content to follow the woman, at least for the time being, and let the fickle tides of fate take them where they would, Crane took a moment to soak in the city at night. Malifaux was, to the casual eye, much like many of the large cities back earthside, winding cobbled streets overshadowed by crumbling buildings which leaned menacingly overhead. Everywhere was the stink and filth that was synonymous with humanity, the stink and filth that thousands of souls crammed together in close quarters. Only when one looked closer did you see the alien nature of the stonework, the placement of buildings, or the evidence of a culture at once close to mankind but equally removed. Then there were the stars. Crane didn't like to look up in Malifaux, as nothing made him feel quite so far from home as those foreign stars shining down at him, their constellations twisting and writhing in strange and unfamiliar shapes. If you wanted proof you were far from Earth, all you had to do was look at the night sky. Still, for all the strangeness, Malifaux was a city where one could make a name, even after falling as low as Crane had. Most people you would meet in the city were like him. Human debris washed up by the ebb and flow of fate, coming here either to escape their past or trying to forge a new future. Sparing a glance at Jezebel as she led him through the winding streets, he could imagine she was much the same. Many of the girls he had met at the Wilted Rose or similar establishments shared the same tale of woe. Women abandoned or lost, trying to find their way in a violent and strange world.
trouble, whispered Jezebel, laying a hand on his chest to stop him. Crane peered ahead into the shadows, unable to see what Jezebel had seen, and wondered again why he was trusting the girl. There, quick, into the doorway. Crane and Jezebel hastily retreated into a doorway, just as two men in long blue dusters and broad-brimmed hats round the corner. Clutching pistols in their hands and carrying long curved sabres at their belts, the men strode past. Crane didn't need to look twice to recognize them as guild guardsmen. Even with the miners, mercenaries, and wastrels on his trail, he knew better than to seek aid from the guild, especially in this part of town. The two guardsmen were just as likely to haul him off to jail as they were to listen to his story or give a damn about his plight. He wasn't even sure what the guild were doing here in the slums. They usually kept to downtown and the other places where the guild had its interests, protecting the wealthy and privileged of Malifaux. So for all these reasons, and a sudden onset of common sense, Crane kept his mouth shut and stayed still within the shadows. As the guardsmen neared the centre of the street, only a few paces from where the pair was hiding, a new set of shadows suddenly appeared. Crane watched as several figures made their presence known, light from an errant gas lamp revealing it to be Caleb Muller and his crew. The guardsmen paused as they saw Caleb saunter into view, his rotten grin fixed from ear to ear, even in the face of two well-armed members of the guild. Out of the way, citizen, one of the guardsmen commanded, gesturing toward Caleb with his pistol. Unflinching, Caleb continued to advance, flanked by the heavy-set man from the wilted rose and the miner with the augmented arm. We're just out for a stroll, officer. Looking for a friend of ours. Don't suppose you've seen him. About so high, nasty cheap suit, probably running with some scruffy-looking harlot. Out of our way, the guardsman repeated, moving forward again, trying to bring the full force of his authority to bear. Unfortunately, neither of the guardsmen had any notion of who they were dealing with and from the shadows Crane could see the expression on Caleb's face change, and his men take on a fighting stance. Oh, well, guess I just have to take out some of my frustration on you two lapdogs, then. In a blur of motion, the miner with the augmented arm lunged forward, smoke billowing from its motors as its pistons hissed into life and landed a bone-crunching blow on the first guardsman. At the same time, Caleb muttered under his breath, conjuring a spell and flinging blue fire at the second guardsman engulfing his duster in flame. Witch, spat the guardsman as he fought to put out the fire on his clothes, while his companion struggled back to his feet from the blow and dragged free his saber. What followed was a brief and violent exchange, punctuated by a few gunshots and more sickening cracks as the augmented miner and his heavyset friend laid into the guardsman. By its conclusion, both guardsmen lay face down on the street. Caleb and his companion shaking blood from their fists and straightening their jackets. Can't stand those guild scum. Well, at least these two will think twice before coming this way again. To accentuate his point, he delivered a quick kick to one of the downed guardsmen. Right now. Let's see if we can find that cheating horse son who stole my money. Crane watched silently as Caleb and the miners walked off down the street, disappearing into the night. Long minutes later, he finally started breathing again and moved out of the doorwell with Jezebel in tow. Glancing down at the prostrate guildman, he briefly considered going through their pockets, but then thought better of it. 
Moving off quickly, Crane took a moment to glance down the street to where Caleb had gone before setting off in the other direction. Minutes dragged on as the pair pushed through the slums and stinking darkness of the Malifaux night, until Jezebel once more took the lead, urging Crane in a new direction. Caleb will think you are going to head either downtown or Little Kingdom, as will Finley and Maximilian, no doubt. I know a shortcut which should take us away from them and give you a chance to see the dawn. Given that Jezebel had led him this far, Crane let her lead on, his eyes alert for any sign of pursuit or ambush. Even without the attentions of mercenaries and disgruntled miners, this was a bad place to be at this hour, and a man and woman alone could prove a tempting target for a desperate thief, thug, or worse. In fact, it was the worst that was playing on Crane's mind as he followed Jezebel through the darkness. Tales of night terrors, ancient evil, and darkness come to life playing in his mind. This was what it meant to live in Malifaux, a place of great magic, exceptional possibility, and slumbering power. It was the magic which had drawn the guild here in the first place, on behalf of wizards and sorcerers from Earth, hungry for the soul stones and the power the city offered. Every day trains carried workers and convicts in to work the guild's mines. And every day these same trains carried back soulstone ore and items of power. Keeping the waning magics of Earth alive for a little while longer. Crane wasn't interested in magic, though. Never experiencing much in the way of gifts like so many others who passed through the Great Breach. Instead, he followed the coin. And it was the wealth of the city, a wealth founded on soul stones which had kept him here when he might have chosen to travel back home. Lost in thought, Crane was not sure when the fog had fallen. It seemed that he looked up to see the sky suddenly hidden by grey mist and the street concealed from view by rolling silver clouds. All around him sound was becoming muted and the feeble light of the gas lamps seemed to hang in the air, their glow fighting to illuminate the night. Ahead of him, he could just make out Jezebel as she led the way, apparently sure of her bearings despite the fog, her red dress a smear of colour in a world of greys and blacks. Shortly after becoming aware of the fog, Crane noticed something else about his surroundings. The texture of the cobbles beneath his feet and the curve and shape of the buildings subtly changed. The sounds of the city had also fallen away, and it was as if the whole of Malifaux was holding its breath as it watched his fate unfold. Where are we? I don't know this place. Are you sure you know where we're going? Crane's voice sounded strange in his ears, like it was coming from far away, or as if someone else was speaking his words. In reply, Jezebel only smiled as she looked over her shoulder, motioning him to follow her further into the fog. Stumbling on, Crane continued to keep pace, all at once afraid that he might lose his way here, or be left alone. As he walked down the strange streets, he tried to make out the buildings lining its sides, their facades fallen or in ruin, doorways and windows gaping like wounds in their wood and stone walls. One building drew his eye, rising out of the gloom, 
now lit only by a strange luminescence that seemed to cling to Jezebel. It looked to have once been an inn or tavern, now badly decayed and long since neglected, an illegible sign hanging over its entrance, only the faded image of a rose giving any hint at its lost meaning. Taking his hand, Jezebel led him inside, the same smile still playing across her lips. Such is the nature of man that all he builds will eventually fall to ruin. Even the greatest of your empires are doomed to become but distant memories, buried by the weight of centuries. Crane looked at Jezebel as she spoke, the strange words making no sense to him. The same instinct to flee from the wilted rose uselessly hammering at the back of his mind while he let the woman take him deeper into the ruin. Even this great city, once so proud and strong, has fallen to the cruel hand of time. Humanity crawls along its bones and thinks he grants it life once more, but he does not even have the slightest notion as to who once lived here. Who are you? Crane managed to mumble trying to break the strange spell that had suddenly fallen upon him. Still smiling, Jezebel stroked his cheek in a mockery of affection. One who dwelt in Malifaux long before you were here, and one who will be here long after you are gone. It was your fate which brought you to me, Edward Crane. The ill luck which you wear about your soul like a fine coat or silken scarf shines forth to my kind. Crane looked again at Jezebel as she spoke and saw for a first time that which darkness and panic had hidden, first in the wilted rose and later on the street. There was something about her that marked her as more than human, a wolf in sheep's clothing, a monster wearing the skin of a woman. Beneath her beauty there was a dark glow, an inner power which he had only heard talk of and had never witnessed himself, until now. The word rose up from his throat and found a shaking voice. Neverborn. Yes, Mr. Crane, that is as good a word as any. Where am I? Why have you brought me here? Do you not recognize the bones of the city you plunder? Even here in the so-called quarantine zone, where your much-vaunted guild fears to tread. Is this not the place where you came to seek your fortune? To see your fate changed and your luck restored. My fate is my own. It does not belong to anyone else. Then play my game, Mr. Crane. Change your destiny. It is, after all, why you are here. No. Crane reached into his coat and drew his holdout pistol and tried to swing it around to shoot the Neverborn. Before he could take a bead on Jezebel, strong claws closed around his arms and legs, wrenching the gun from his grasp and pinning him in place. In horror, Crane watched as a dozen Nephilim materialized from the ruins around him. Their twisted, nightmare-formed, all leathery skin, fangs, and claws. Ignoring his attempt to kill her, Jezebel produced a deck of cards and gestured for the Nephilim to take Crane to one of the tavern's few surviving tables. A single card, Mr. Crane. A single card to prove your luck. Beat me and I will show you the way home. Fail and your soul is mine to keep. Without waiting for a response, Jezebel drew a card from the deck and laid it on the table, Crane's eyes flicking down to see it was the jack of clubs. Crane looked into Jezebel's eyes, seeing the inhumanity which lurked there, the hatred for man and the cruel pleasure at his powerlessness. 
However, Crane had always been a gambler, and even a run of bad luck wouldn't change that. As soon as the Nephilim eased their grip, he stepped up and drew a card from the deck and tossed it on the table. The King of Hearts looked up at him. Giving him hope, he'd only just then realized he thought lost. I win. Shaking free of the Nephilim, which waited silently for the command of their mistress, Crane began backing away toward the door. No, I don't think so, Mr. Crane. Jezebel swept across the room in a flash of movement that belied her human form and dug her claws into Crane's chest. A moment's hope is such savoury seasoning. This is not your lucky night. But I bested you. I won. You said... You said my luck would turn. That this was the good thing I'd been waiting for. The good thing I came to find. The monsters circled him, licking at their lips and grinning widely to show sharp, jagged fangs. And you know, Mr. Crane, only bad things happen here in Malifaux. And there you have it. Let that be a lesson to all you gamblers. If you play fair, you could risk losing everything. Thank you all for listening, and please join us next time for another Tale of Malifaux Breachside Broadcast.